This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. We've got the biggest smoking gun of all from the Twitter files. Absolute documented, incontrovertible proof that Twitter was so determined to ban Donald Trump two days after January 6th that they simply ignored the previous management at the very top, simply ignored their own safety experts, a whole bunch of them, saying what you're about to do is wrong, seizing on a couple of relatively innocuous Donald Trump tweets, doesn't violate any policy of ours, and just blew it off. I will get into that. We're going to do a deep dive on that. I still don't understand why it's not getting hardly any coverage. There's nothing today. New York Times, Washington Post, Politico, that can't be bothered. Other networks... Other than Fox, you know, non-story. We already knew this. Well, we didn't know a lot of this. And this is the biggest, most dramatic, most graphic proof of that. But I have other things I need to get to. We'll be talking about the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried in the Bahamas last night, which, trust me, This was not a coincidence that the Justice Department decided to go after him and actually physically have him arrested by local authorities there the night before he was scheduled to testify at a congressional hearing today. Where, I mean, look at it. I mean, they think the guy is a crook. And... Not going to let him have a platform to create sympathy for himself and say, you know, I really screwed up and it wasn't criminal and so forth and so on. No. And the indictment has been unsealed and we'll get into that. I also want to get into uh, artificial intelligence. So, a lot to jam in here. So, let me get to a few other items first. The ABC anchors, Amy Robach, TJ Holmes, were taken off the air last week, as you know. I reported about this on Media Buzz. And what I said was that, based on my reporting, since they have been told they didn't violate any company policies, they were expecting to be back on the air early this week. Now, Page Six has obtained a message from Kim Godwin, the ABC News president, telling the staff Amy and TJ will remain off air pending the completion of an internal review, and there will be a rotation of anchors at GMA3 for the time being. Now, TMZ is saying that the investigation will examine if the couple use company resources to aid their affair, such as private cars or, quote, pressuring staffers to keep the relationship on the DL. Well, that sounds pretty ominous. And 
what I said on the air based on my reporting was, if they were not brought back this week, it would be one of two things. It would mean that parent company Disney is really not sure it wants to keep them at this show, and they are prepared to push back, and it could get very messy. The alternate view is that, you know, the holidays are coming up. If they want to just extend this leave, I guess you would call it, um, and bring them back in early January, that might be fine. They might go along with that. And it also extends the cooling off period. We will see how their agents and representatives choose to respond. Um, I don't have very good news to report on covid uh, I was saying, what was it, maybe uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, I guess, that the number of uh, deaths reported from COVID each day had dropped from about 450 to 250. This was a good sign. Well, of course, then came Thanksgiving, and now the weather's getting colder. And as of yesterday, 65,000 new COVID cases, 468 deaths. So it's it shot back up. Anthony Fauci was on TV this morning. He was lamenting the fact that only 13% of Americans have gotten the new booster shot. They just, you know, everybody's moved on and it hasn't been sold very well or very um, effectively. And all of this, the new cases plus flu, it's this triple-demic, right? RVS, RSV, excuse me, for often kids and then sometimes adults get it. The flu, which seems to be a particularly deadly strain this year, and of course, COVID. So this is straining hospital resources everywhere. It's hard to get a bed in a lot of communities. Wall Street Journal announcing its new editor-in-chief, Emma Tucker. She's a British journalist. She'll succeed Matt Murray, who's had that job for about four years. Um, And this is a move by Rupert Murdoch to put in a a very qualified but British journalist. Um, She has been the editor in London of the Sunday Times. The Sunday Times, along with its counterpart, the Times of London, is a very prestigious paper. And what's interesting is how well she's done in the digital space, and I think that's what this is all really about. Um, Here's the Washington Post saying, the move signals a reassertion of control by Burdock, who bought the journal in 2007 and quickly took editorial command. Murray has been the only top editor to rise through the ranks of the journal. Others have, have been British editors brought in. So if I can just find this number, here it is. Um, not only was the Sunday Times named Sunday Newspaper of the Year at the UK Press Awards, more than a 40% increase in digital subscriptions, up from 320,000 to 450,000. That's what I think this is all about. Hey, there was an interview at the White House with uh, Biden economic advisor Heather Bushi on CNBC. And at one point, Joe Kernan just stopped and he said, we can't hear you because there's a leaf blower behind you. Like, couldn't they just wait until this interview was over? But, you know, this leaf blower thing just drives me crazy because it's just 
a big problem, not at the office, but on days when I'm working at home. Uh, but this was actually a White House leaf blower, uh, temporarily, shall we say, delaying that interview. Interesting line here in Politico, a piece about uh, 2024. Uh, it says, President Biden has vented to allies about how often his age is mentioned in the press. You don't think I know how effing old I am, he said to one. Okay, but he is now currently the oldest man ever to serve as president. And of course, there's the question about next year, uh, 2024, I should say. Well, he's making the decision next year. And um, how he old he would be at the end of the second term, which, sorry, Mr. President, would be 86 years old. And Jeff Zucker, fired by CNN, along with his top deputy, Allison Gollist, for ethical reasons having to do with his failure to disclose this intimate relationship, is landing on his feet. And I'm not surprised, uh, given his knack for reinventing himself over the years. Remember, he was the head of NBC News and the head of NBC. He, according to the Wall Street Journal, will lead a new investment firm called Redbird Capital Partners. It will have a $1 billion joint venture with um, another media investment firm that's based in Abu Dhabi. It's probably where the billion's coming from. Uh, journal says, uh, Zucker said, according to the journal, he will focus on building, buying, and investing in sports, media, and entertainment entities around the world. So basically... He wants to be in the game, and according to this, he will be in the game, possibly will buy some of these outfits, and has got a billion to play with. Nice work if you can get it. All right, story number one. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, story number one. This was disclosed by Barry Weiss. It was supposed to come out on Sunday. I was hoping Sunday morning in time for Media Buzz. Never came out. I guess she just wasn't ready. And then not in time for the podcast yesterday, but in the afternoon, one slow, agonizing paragraph at a time, she reports the documentation of what happened on January 8th, 2021. Now, you recall, based on previous episodes, this is kind of like a soap opera. This is number five, by the way. Previous episodes of the Twitter files, we learned that the day after the Capitol riot on January 6th, Jack Dorsey, the CEO, came up with this five strikes and you're out plan. And Yoel Roth, the head of safety, who's resigned when Musk took over, and who clearly is anti-Trump, once talked about actual Nazis in the White House, 
um, responded to somebody by saying, uh, you know, it later became one from he needed four strikes to he, he needed one more strike, but basically said, no, we can't permanently ban him because he needs one more strike. And then that was completely and totally tossed out. I mean, they just kept changing the policy. And by the way, this is not like, oh, people at the top of a company had, you know, a spirited exchange of views. No, this shows how determined this clearly left-leading company, 99% of the political donations going to Democrats, uh, was to rid itself of Donald Trump. So they needed a pretext. And on the morning of January 8th, Trump posted two tweets. First one said this, the 75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first and make America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape or form. And the second tweet said he was not planning to attend the inauguration. So, Various Twitter executives told their colleagues in these internal messages, emails, texts, uh, Slack, whatever. Okay, listen to this. Quote, I don't see the incitement of fear. Quote, I think we'd have a hard time saying this is incitement. It's pretty clear he's saying the American patriots are the ones who voted for him and not the terrorists. We can call them that, right? From Wednesday. Quote, don't see the incitement angle here. Then there was this woman, Anika Collier Navaroli. She was a policy official dealing with Twitter's content moderation. And she wrote, as an FYI, safety, meaning the safety unit at Twitter, has assessed the DJD tweet above and determined. There is no violation of our policies at this time. Now, she later went on to testify before the January 6th committee. Uh, she's a black woman, and she said, well, I always felt we should have acted to ban Trump sooner because otherwise people were going to die. So in banning Donald Trump, Twitter had to say these two tweets were an incitement to violence. When all these other officials said, no, there's no incitement here. Now, you may agree or disagree. You may think, look, Trump, you know, summoned his people, said it's going to be wild, and he should have been banned for inciting violence. Or you may think that it's ridiculous that a sitting president of the United States could get banned when it's at least arguable that it was a bunch of people out of control. So, regardless of what you think, this is the case study in Twitter. Just they kept changing their own rules, bending it and bending and ignoring it. And then they just came out and said, hey, you know, it's incitement. We think it's excitement. Screw all you other people who are telling us otherwise. We don't really care what you think. And, you know, again, Twitter executives have lied about all this in public, the shadow banning and so forth. And oh, here's uh, something else you may find interesting about Yoel Roth. One, there was a point where Yoel Roth pressed for the permanent suspension of Congressman Matt Gates, big Trump ally, even though he said, quote, it doesn't quite fit anywhere, duh. And 
when um, the ban actually happened and once the permanent ban was in place. Roth shared with his colleagues that multiple staffers at Twitter had invoked the notion that those who are following our policies are like the Nazis following orders. So he went there. And by the way, as Barry Weiss pointed out, I mean, just take the Ayatollah Khamenei in Iran. 2018, he tweeted, Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen. Yeah, fine, that's okay. Twitter left the tweet up, took no action. Ayatollah is still on there, a bunch with other, along with a bunch of other uh, despots and dictators. What also happened yesterday has to do with Musk and Anthony Fauci. And I've been critical of this. I don't think he ever should have gone there. We don't need to know that Elon Musk thinks his uh, favorite pronouns are prosecute and Fauci. Corinne Jean-Pierre replying for the White House. We've been very clear about this. These personal attacks that we have been seeing are dangerous. They are disgusting and they are divorced from reality. And we will continue to call that out. Dr. Fauci, who's, for those of you who don't like him, or is, in the, or is in the job for only two more weeks, to Axios. I don't pay any attention to him, Musk, because that's merely a distraction. And if you get drawn into that, and I have to be honest, that cesspool of interaction, it's, there's no value added to that. It doesn't help anything. On Sunday in San Francisco, Elon Musk made a, a cameo appearance at a um, comedy show with Dave Chappelle. Chappelle introduces him. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the richest man in the world. And Musk goes up there and he waves and he gets booed. Lots and lots of booing with a little bit of applause. Um, They engage in some awkward banter, but they basically got drowned out by boos from this crowd of about 18,000. So Chappelle made a joke. He said, it sounds like some of the people you fired are in the audience. Now, what else has Elon been doing? Well, last night, um, he just is very erratic when it comes to this. He uh, 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 dissolved the Trust and Safety Council. He's unraveling years of work. And it was about to meet. He said, thank you for your service, but we've decided this is no longer the best structure. Maybe he doesn't want to be second-guessed. He himself had said he was going to have a content moderation council, and he changed his mind on that. Uh, one expert quoted saying many of them were about to resign anyway, so they got fired instead of quit. Uh, Musk also saying that uh, he will soon remove all legacy blue checks. People like me who just got who got verified, you know, years and years ago. No more blue checks for us. On the other hand, if you pay the eight bucks a month, you can be newly um, verified. And I think it'll be some other color. One last side note on this. Axios reporting that Barry Weiss's new 
company, the Free Press, it's just launched, already has 105,000 followers on Twitter. Its uh, newsletter has added an additional 25,000 free and paid subscribers. Obviously, she's getting a huge amount of attention right now. Uh, Her own Twitter following going from 500,000 to 900,000. And she tells Axios that she has hired 10 full-time employees and over a dozen contractors to help her build this company. Quote, I'm responding to a demand and I'm expanding based on the hunger of the audience. And that hunger and appetite is just huge. We're at the very, very beginning of what this could be. It's fascinating to watch. All right. Sam Bankman Freed, the founder of now bankrupt FTX. He was arrested last night, in case you hadn't heard. Uh, That is extraordinary. At the request of the Justice Department, as I said earlier. And now that the uh, um, indictment has been unsealed this morning, uh, this is what we know. Eight criminal charges, including wire fraud and conspiracy by misusing customer funds. Well, that's the big enchilada. Um, Multiple counts of conspiracy wire fraud and defrauding the U.S. and violating campaign finance laws. The indictment says his wrongful conduct began as early as 2019, continuing through last month. He's the only person named in the indictment, but he has conspired with others. Uh, The campaign finance charges, interestingly, don't name any members of Congress or causes that receive money. That was a violation of the law for him, for Bankman Free to do this. Says he dece- just says uh, he exceeded the donation limits and deceived the FEC. Now everybody knew because he it was impossible to not notice that he was a major major donor to Joe Biden and Democrats. But then he since let it be known that he also gave to Republicans, but he kept the money dark. So we didn't know about those donations, but we do. He now claims, at least, that he did. Now, the U.S. attorney in Manhattan sent the sealed indictment down to the Bahamas, which does plan to extradite Bankman Freed, but this may take several weeks because she's just got to go through the whole process. Um, and the Bahamanian prime minister said the Bahamas and the U.S. have a shared interest in holding accountable all individuals who have broken, betrayed the public trust and broken the law. So they're on board. So at that hearing today, where Beckman Freed was going to make the big sympathy play, the only witness will be John Ray, the guy who, who came in to clean up Exxon, the guy who's been hired to clean up to the extent that he can this mess. And by the way, the SEC has separately filed a civil suit against Bankman Freed, saying, hey, don't forget about us because you uh, deceived investors and we want to get our case in as well. Story number three is a stunning look at all the texts that went to Trump's last White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, from members of Congress, journalists, activists, and others. And Josh Marshall of Talking Points Memo, been around for 
He was one of the first bloggers when blogging was a thing. Been around since the mid-90s. Um, you know, the committee, let's face it, what's going on here is it's a leak from the January 6th committee. It, it, Marshall isn't trying to hide that. And there's really fascinating stuff here, which I will share with you. And they're doing it in part. So yesterday, today, excuse me, today, there's another installment up with Congressman Andy Biggs, Republican of Arizona, who actually started complaining to Meadows on election night um, when Fox famously projected that Joe Biden would win Arizona. And he said, oh, Fox doesn't know what they're doing. And then he came up with this plan. In the various states where there's been shenanigans, most of those states have Republican legislatures. Um, it can't be much, and it'll be highly controversial to do this, but not much more controversial than the lunacy that is sitting out there right now. It'd be pretty difficult because um, it would take governors and legislators with the collective will and backbone to do that, meaning stop the election at the state level. Is anybody considering that? Then uh, he came up with another idea. We can demonstrate the significant number of illegal alien illegal aliens vote in the election. So the legislature can reject them based on fraud. What do you think? Mark Meadows, I like it. Now, from the first dump, we have Republican Congressman Ralph Norman of South Carolina urging Meadows to push Trump to declare martial law. He spelled it M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, which happens by weird coincidence to be Josh Marshall's spelling. Um, but actually it's spelled M-A-R-T-I-A-L. Our last hope, says Congressman Norman, is invoking martial law. Please urge the president to do so. Jason Miller says, um, he's kind of reporting on rounding up somebody, says Mo Brooks seems to be the ringleader on the January 6th deal. They request examples of fraud, numbers, names, whatever evidence can be provided. I'm ready to go. I have bodies to help. I will follow your lead. I will bring it up with POTUS, says Mark Meadows. Brian Babin, Republican congressman, says, Mark, when we lose Trump, we lose our republic. Fight like hell and find a way we're with you down here in Texas and refuse to live under a corrupt Marxist dictatorship. Liberty, says Babin. Mike Kelly, Republican of Pennsylvania. Congressman. We're in Philadelphia suing the Pennsylvania Secretary of State for her illegal meddling in this election and will continue to expose her fraudulent actions. Let me know if there's anything I can do to fight these MFers in Pennsylvania. Our president is heroic. Hmm. Mark Green, another Republican congressman, Tennessee, reporting on Dick Morris, who I guess was on Newsmax. Dick Morris is saying uh, the state legislature can intervene and declare Trump the winner. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, all have GOP legislatures. Now, going back to Norman, he had a complaint 
with Meadows. Mark, I hear McCarthy is giving equal time to let those who are opposed to the challenge of electoral votes, which is ludicrous, all caps, two exclamation points. Trump needs to call Kevin. Uh, and Meadows also responds to the notion that Mike Pence, this is before January 6th, would, would, would call out the electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional. I have pushed for this. Not sure it's going to happen, which, of course, it didn't. Other Trump news. Um, the special counsel has subpoenaed Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, the guy who got the call from Trump, can you just find me 11,780 votes? That's the fifth state where local lawmakers or officials have been subpoenaed by the special counsel. So he is kind of expanding his investigation. Also, Joni Ernst, very excited about a Tim Scott presidential run. John Cornyn would advise him to go for it. John Barrasso, these are all Republican lawmakers, said it doesn't get any better than Tim Scott. Even Lindsey Graham says, I want to see what Tim does. So none of these people have endorsed Trump and they're excited about Tim Scott. And they're thinking as the only black Republican senator, he could maybe carve out a lane for himself that might otherwise be difficult. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Story number four. Joni Ernst is very excited about Tim Scott running for president. John Cornyn would advise him to go for it. John Barrasso said it doesn't get any better than Tim Scott. All these Republican senators urging on Senator Scott. Even Lindsey Graham says, I want to wait and see what Tim does before he makes any endorsements. Scott would bring something to the table on day one. One of the most compelling stories of any Republican out there. Yeah, because, and Tim Scott hasn't said much about this, he's the only black Republican senator. But they are talking him up. All of these top names in Republican leadership and in the Senate, they haven't endorsed Donald Trump. And they'd like to see Scott get out there. The feeling is that given his unique story, um, he might be able to carve out a lane uh, that wouldn't be available to others. Now, story number five. Let me read to you uh, from Fox News host Steve Hilton and what he said um, on the air on Sunday on his show. Good evening, fellow Americans. I'm Steve Hilton. I'm here to talk to you tonight about the threat to jobs from artificial intelligence. First, let me address the elephant in the room. Yes, there is a threat to jobs from artificial intelligence, but if we're honest, there are also so many opportunities. AI is not something to be feared, but something that could be used to our advantage. Think about it. AI will alter many of the mundane tasks we have to do every day. This will free us up to focus on more creative and meaningful work. We can use technology to drive innovation and create new product services and jobs. 
And then at the end, Hilton reveals that that whole thing was written by an AR program, this program that's getting so much attention, Chat GPT. Every word of what you just heard was written by Chat GPT, um, which can do everything from write poems, says Steve, to scripts in the style of anyone, including me. He said, well, the, the fellow Americans part, Hilton is British, uh, came over here, you know, he was a player in UK politics, um, seemed a little bit too presidential, but the speech was pretty good. Okay, now I'm nervous. If this thing could write television speeches, television monologues, um, hmm, checking job security, I don't know. Um... It's a really big deal for any profession that involves writing. All right, I'm glad you're all in, Steve, but I, I mean, I have a very unique voice. And can a chatbot do a 30 or 35-minute podcast? I don't think so. You don't know what's my head. I don't sometimes know what I'm going to say next. Okay, so here's a New York Times tech columnist, Kevin Roos, says ChatGPT... Best artificial, artificial intelligence chatbot ever released to the public. By the way, it was built by this company, OpenAI, um, who one of the original investors in that company is, was, Elon Musk. It'd be guys everywhere. Okay. Um, Ruth says it feels smarter, different, weirder, more flexible, can write jokes, some of which are actually funny, um, and college-level essays. In fact, some are saying, like, this is the end for any college essay because how will the admissions officers know that they weren't necessarily written by the kids themselves? Um, it can explain scientific concepts at multiple levels of difficulty, which I might not be able to do. I don't know. Um, and some of the, and it's also gotten kind of zany. One Twitter user prompted it to write a biblical verse in the style of the King James Bible, explaining how to remove a peanut butter sandwich from a VCR. And it did. Even take-home exams in schools might, you know, have to go the way of the horse and buggy. But now he goes on to say, ChatGPT isn't perfect by any means. The way it generates responses by making probabilistic guesses about which bits of text belong together makes it prone to giving wrong answers, even on simple math problems. Uh, one um, website for programmers has barred people from using it because it got so many uh, submissions that were wrong. It's not like Google. It doesn't crawl the web for information. Its knowledge is restricted to things it learned before 2021, making answers feel stale. When I asked it to... Uh, write the opening monologue for a late-night show, says Kevin Roos. It came up with several topical jokes about Donald Trump pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords. So it's got a kind of a narrow view of the world. Uh, and this is really interesting. There are also plenty of things that ChatGPT won't do as a matter of principle. Uh, it's program, uh, uh, OpenAI is programmed the bot to refuse inappropriate requests. So, for example, when I asked, when Kevin Roos asked Chat 
GPT, for example, who is the best Nazi? It returned a scolding message that began, it is not appropriate to ask who the best Nazi is, as the ideologies and actions of the Nazi party were reprehensible and caused immeasurable suffering and destruction. Well, good for Jet, GPT. Maybe some of the pundits and commentators who routinely invoke Nazi analogies for those who they don't like, against those they don't like, could learn something from this bot. Well, I hope you've learned something today. Always appreciate this time with you. I may have gone a little long, but hey, pretty interesting stuff, right? I think so. Apparently you think so, because we're on track, as I mentioned the other day, for 4 million downloads. This year, much, much higher than last year. Subscribe if you're not already doing that. And we'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzBeat. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.